Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. New York City in the 1990s. The Big Apple is in the midst of a renaissance. New York City is now the city that people most want to visit and most want to live in. Who could have believed that was possible four or five years ago? The 90s was the end of perhaps the CD New York. It was also a new beginning. By the mid-90s, a squeaky clean New York is reflected in primetime as a yuppie playground on hit shows like Friends. What'd you guys do to get up on there? We learned how to dance. And Seinfeld. I don't want anyone smarter than me. How could she be smarter than you? <laughs> but New York is still holding on to its edge. Embraced and celebrated by downtown's darlings, the club kids. We're the freaks. We're the rejects. We're the nerds. We're the gay, straight, transgender people of New York or anywhere, because people come from all over the world to New York to live their truth. And their truth was freakdom. <laughs> in 1984, I landed a column in the Village Voice called La Dolce Musto. I wrote about the club scene. In the 80s, it seemed like some of the edge was lost in New York nightlife. Everybody wore skinny little black dresses and behaved oh so properly. Then along came the club kids stampeding and rampaging through the scene, creating a whole new scene. Astro, you look great. We were just like, let's have fun, let's be kooky. We don't have to wear labels and we don't care. And we're going to dance on the bar and be stupid and silly. Oh my God, it looks so great. I love this. <laughs> I was right for the Village Voice. The, the clockers were silly little kids, you know, dressing up, prancing around, saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. I started hanging out in clubs as an adult at 14. We didn't set out to create a community, just sort of grew organically. The positive thing about the club kids is they celebrated each other but they sort of created this kind of family of dysfunctional people 
who maybe were not that happy at home, maybe weren't accepted by their own parents, but they were accepted by each other. They were fun and outrageous. And the most outrageous of all is the leader of the club kids, Michael Alec. Michael was a Pied Piper who celebrated the outcasts, who made an LGBT family of these people. That was the thing about Michael. He literally created his own universe, and he was the center of that universe, and he could do anything he liked within that universe. In Michael's universe, there is no such thing as crossing the line. Michael is like, <laughs> he's a creator of pranks. That's his shtick. It was always like, you gotta be alert with him, because he would just pull a prank on you. The goal is simple, to gain notoriety. One of his signature moves is throwing outlaw parties, unauthorized public parties meant to troll the cops. We didn't have Facebook to promote parties or invite people. We didn't have cell phones or text messages, so we had to have a street game. We are here at the Monster Man. <laughs> the idea of an outlaw party is that Michael Alec tells people by phone or maybe by an invite, but you have to keep it hush hush. Party in the New York subway. These parties were held at places where you're not supposed to have a party, whether it's a fast food place, whether it's a subway car. It's not going to last because the cops were going to bust it once they found out about it. Mr. Musto! Are you having a good time at the outlet? Oh, yeah. Everyone got there in full regalia, on time, and had a blast. It was the tabooness that made it such a great New York event. These were his antics. Michael loved to stir up the hornet's nest. When Michael and the club kids aren't crashing public spaces, home is one of downtown's most popular clubs, the Limelight. The Limelight was a church, which still looked like a church. It had stained glass and it had altars and pews and all that stuff. It was all too perfect. My mother would always say, have you been to church lately? And I was like, yeah, I went to Limelight last night. New York is filled with millions of stories. We have 50,000 of them just from Limelight. The beautiful thing about Limelight was that we didn't judge. You could see a drag queen, a club kid, a Hasidic Jew, a prostitute chick, and we all got along, which was really awesome. Behind the Limelight's mystique is its eccentric owner, Peter Gation. Peter Gation was this kind of enigmatic Canadian. He's very smart. You could say he was the king of nightlife. Peter Gation was a bit ominous. I don't remember him smiling too much. A lot of people were very intimidated by him and his character and the way he presented himself. Geisha knows he doesn't have the personality to draw crowds to the limelight. So he's hired Alec and the club kids to do it for him. And the way he did it was, he basically, you know, paid them to be outrageous. They were like some exotic zoo animals that people who would never dream of dressing like that would pay good money to come and see. It doesn't take long for the club kids on Gation's payroll to become New York celebrity. We'll meet our celebutants of nightlife, Michael Tron. He's an artist who spends his evenings networking his way to success. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was really a good experience. Her other was the first, I think, national 
video coverage that we got. That was a whole story about Club Kids. I think it was definitely those daytime shows that spread the word. Michael Alec. Michael never imagined what life could be like when he left his small town in Indiana to experience nightlife in the Big Apple. I think kids who had no real friends and were living out in some little town in the Midwest saw that. And I think they thought, yeah, I'm going to come to New York and I'm going to become a club kid. One of these kids is 24-year-old Andre Melendez, a.k.a. Angel. It's Angel. Hi. Hi, Angel. We met on Christopher Street. Angel had this smile that was unbelievable and this huge mohawk and the Doc Martens and he was all in black. I just saw what I thought was an angel. I remember him always wearing angel wings. Angel isn't like the other club kids who mostly come from well-to-do families. Angel was different. Angel was from Colombia. He moved here when he was eight. His family lived in New Jersey and he was close to his family. He had very little friends, very little friends, if any. He looked for people just like him. When Angel arrives in New York, he doesn't immediately jump into the club kids scene. Angel was originally what they call a peer queen. There were peers in the West Village, and a lot of like these tough gay kids used to hang around there and sell drugs. Peer queens tended to be from working class families, and they knew how to fight. And Angel was like that. Angel was no pushover. But when Angel meets Michael Alley one night at Limelight, his life changes. By the time Angel would have met Michael, Michael would have been semi-famous. Angel must have felt that this was a step up in the world, that he was going from being a peer queen to being a part of this pseudo-celebrity circle that was rapidly forming itself around Michael. Angel and Michael form a quick bond. At one point, Angel was living with Michael. But other club kids are hesitant to welcome him so easily. He was quiet and not particularly sociable or talkative. He just didn't click with us. He just didn't get it. It soon becomes clear why Michael keeps Angel so close. Angel Melendez was a drug dealer on the scene. He was known as Michael Alex's drug dealer. Angel was what Michael called one of his celebrity drug dealers. And these were these drug dealers like Angel who would dress up in extravagant costume. And that way, people would seek them out based on the way they looked. We see Angel with his wings, he was easy to spot. We did talk about the friendships. And some of it was business. Some of it was just making friends. Angel supplies the goods for Michael's parties, orchestrated with trademark shock value. They would do the emergency room. He would have all his club kids dress up like nurses or doctors. They would come up to you on the dance floor and be like, oh my God, you look awful. I need to write you a prescription right away. And then you'd go to the nurse, whomever you could find, and then we would just give you free drugs. By 1995, free drugs at the limelight are just to come on to buy more. And ironically, one of the club's biggest dealers is Angel. He was a little embarrassed about it. He didn't want to be the Latino drug dealer in that nightlife. He didn't do drugs. He wasn't about that. But he was in this nightlife that was demanding drugs more and more and more and more. I remember asking, like, you're straight edge. Like, 
why would you do that? And, and he was like, well, I have to make money. I have to make a living. By early 1996, Angel is growing tired of being a drug dealer. He was getting more and more over it. He saw the darkness. And he said, I really want to get out of this scene. But Angel still needs to make money. He's not ready to say goodbye to the trade just yet. Angel goes to the limelight as usual, but this time he's no longer welcome. Angel had been banned from the club. They were trying to cut down on the drug dealing. Angel showed up anyway. Gation spotted him and told the bouncers to evict him. So the bouncers came over to Angel, told him to leave. He wouldn't leave. There was a struggle. As they were turfing him out of the club, they broke his wings. He was humiliated in front of all these people. That night would be the beginning of the end for the club kids. In Staten Island, two kids notice a cardboard box that's washed up on Oakwood Beach. It was a Xena TV box. And it was taped up with duct tape. Some kids started poking. What a surprise they got. There was an arm hanging out and there was a torso in the box. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? 
Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. A body has been found on a beach in Staten Island. NYPD detectives Tom Comas and Ralph Django of Staten Island's 122nd Precinct are called to investigate. We detailed out, and we went to the beach, and sure enough, we discovered a large box. So we went over to the box, which was wrapped up in uh, duct tape and very secured. And as we investigated, we could see that there was an arm hanging out and there was a torso in the box. And he was putrefied because he sat on a beach for a while. The detectives have the corpse transported to the Brooklyn morgue for an autopsy. At the autopsy, we discovered that his legs were removed and he was castrated. His head was cocked back, mouth open, and that surprised me because he had the whitest teeth. Whiter than a movie star. Unfortunately, the body is so disintegrated that identification is nearly impossible. I asked the doctor, well, what what nationality is? He says he looks Asian-Mongolian. I called an anthropologist in. He came and he had the same conclusion. So now we have a dead body unidentified that had an identification nationality-wise as a Asian-Mongolian. My first thought was that this is probably some, something that happened on an ocean liner or one of these freighters. A sketch is made based on the analysis of the corpse. We went to the department that handles missing persons and we couldn't find a match. Whole city. But unbeknownst to Django and Comas, someone has gone missing in Manhattan. People were saying, have you seen Angel? Friends in nightlife, they would ask about him and, and I'm like, that's weird, maybe he went to Colombia, maybe he got over the nightlife. And then it was just like, he wasn't around. It's been nearly a month since anyone has heard from Angel. The last time he was seen was on March 17th, when he was thrown out of the limelight. At that point, we were seeing the flyers for Angel's missing. There was a picture of him with his angel wings. They were all over Christopher Street near nightclubs. I saw them everywhere. The flyers had been put up by Angel's brother, Johnny. Johnny was very instrumental in going around and spreading the word, trying to get to the root of what happened to Angel. He contacted the NYPD. They were useless. They had no interest in this. Some like nobody, low-level, Hispanic drug dealer goes missing. Why do we care about that? Angel's brother. He was trying to make a missing persons report. And he had been to several precincts, but he was just getting blown off. I felt for him. He was upset. He believed that nobody was doing anything. The club kids Johnny talks to are even less helpful than the NYPD. First of all, we didn't like Angel. And then for Johnny to come into town and be like, where's my brother? We're like, you. Nobody wanted to help him. We didn't lose any sleep over it. But it was kind of still in the back of our minds like, where is Angel? 
you know, just like, why isn't he here selling drugs? Where's my drugs? Angel's true friends hold a vigil for him at a pier on the west side. We were praying for you, Angel. Please come back. Doing this whole thing, lighting candles and throwing out a reef um, for Angel. I remember looking out and, and at the water and just just feeling those feelings like he's not coming back. He's gone. Theories swirl among the club kids about Angel's disappearance. Look, people were clinging to any positive thing, like maybe this is not really happening. There were other horrible possibilities, like maybe Angel OD'd. In the time since Angel disappeared, the club scene is getting darker, with drugs out of control. A number of club kids have already OD'd. The club kids just really developed this dark side to them. You know, first it was ecstasy, but then they moved on to harder drugs. And we discovered ketamine, crystal, crack, heroin, and then it just, you know, it just really went down. It went sorrow, it went really bad. One of the worst drug abusers is Angel's former friend, the club kid king, Michael Alec. You know, I know he overdosed lots of times. The guy was a mess. Oh, oh, oh. It was unbelievable how many drugs he took. Look at a close-up of Michael Alec puking on TV. God. By this point, Michael had spiraled a lot. It became more and more dark. The looks became more apocalyptic. Parties at Limelight also became much more sinister. At Limelight, Michael had a blood fest party, which reveled in kind of fake blood and fake, you know, severed limbs. Grotesque. Now with Angel missing, people in the scene began to wonder if life has imitated art. Especially when a new rumor rocks Clubland. It was the hot, juicy gossip downtown. When I heard this story, about Michael killing Angel. I don't believe it. He would laugh in clubs and tell people, I killed Angel. I killed Angel. Michael was going around like it was like he had a new poodle or something. You know, that he was like, oh, look, look, I killed him. Ha, 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 ha. And he was trying harder and harder to get noticed. And that desperation showed Michael had a history of staging these pranks, these sick pranks, just to get a rise out of people. And that's what it sounded like to me. Which is why many people in Clubland believe this is a typical Michael stunt. You can't take Michael serious, because it's always a joke with him. Always a joke. It has to be a joke, because nobody's that insane. Some club kids are even skeptical of the posters put up by Angel's brother, Johnny. It looked like something Michael would have done an invite for a new party. Michael was so outrageous and had so many ideas that he had done successfully that we didn't put it past him as dark as it was that this just might have been a publicity stunt. If Michael's intention is to create buzz, it's working. The rumors are flying. And I started asking around to club kids, what's going on with Michael? And one of them who worked for Michael, a club kid, said, people think he killed Angel. On April 30th, 1996, Musto publishes a blind item about the rumors. 
This is how I wrote it. Mr. Mess was fighting over money with Mr. Drug Dealer. Mr. Mess 2 walks in. They finished the drug dealer off. Well, this caused a sensation. Alex's boss and mentor, Peter Gation, isn't amused. Alex's behavior, once an asset, is now a liability. He's bringing all this attention. So obviously Peter's like, you know, got to get rid of this guy. Michael Alec called me and he sounded jangled and just so drugged out. And he said he was fired from Limelight. The last thing Gation needs is this kind of attention on him and his nightclubs, especially in Mayor Giuliani's New York. I'll place a much greater emphasis on stricter enforcement of the law to reverse the growing trend of ever-increasing tolerance for lawless behavior. Rudy Giuliani is famous for his, quote, quality of life campaigns. But he wanted to squelch the nightlife. May Giuliani was on an overall mission. If there's drug dealing, I want him shut down. In the old days, the drug dealing would be controlled by the bouncers, right? And the bouncers would then pay off the local cops to turn a blind eye. When Giuliani came in, that whole thing changed. And Giuliani's number one target is Peter Gation. Giuliani came after Peter Gation. They thought he was like a drug kingpin and being responsible for all of the drugs that are being sold in New York. Peter Gation knew that there was drug dealers in his club. It was an open-air drug supermarket, but he thought he could get away with it. He was contributing to political campaigns, including Mayor Giuliani. And because he wasn't directly involved in the drug dealing, he thought he had plausible deniability. Gation has been careful to cover his tracks where he can. But the last time anyone had seen Angel Melendez, it was the night Peter Gation ordered his removal from Limelight. Angel was really, really pissed. And he may have made some threats against Gation. Peter Gation knew Angel sold drugs. I warned Gation. I said to him, this, something really bad is gonna happen unless you do something about the drug dealing at this club because they're not gonna put up with it anymore. They are not gonna put up with it. On May 15th, Gation is arrested by the NYPD and the feds for conspiracy to distribute ecstasy at two of his clubs. Police ejected clubgoers from the tunnel and the limelight late last night and closed the doors indefinitely because of alleged drug trafficking. The bust of Peter Gation is hailed as a victory for Mayor Giuliani's quality of life campaign. But the investigation into the disappearance of one of Gation's drug dealers is lagging. Many of us said that when it's a Colombian gay drug dealer, it might not be the top priority of the New York Police Department to find out what happened. Even though the last anyone heard from Angel Melendez was the night Gation had him bounced. He wasn't just a Latino gay drug dealer immigrant. He was a human, and they didn't really look for him. But Village Voice journalist Frank Owen is interested. He's working on his own article about Angel's disappearance and all the connections to club kids. In researching the story, Owen contacts Peter Gation to find out what he knows about Angel. His spokesperson got back to me and made the claim that Peter didn't even know who Angel was, which was an obvious lie. Everybody knew who Angel was. As he digs into the story, Owen can't find any evidence that Gation was involved with Angel's disappearance. But he still has enough to publish a cover story in the Village Voice on June 25th, 1996, with Michael Alex's name all over it. 
I had half a dozen people telling me that Michael had confessed the murder to them, right? So I wrote this whole thing up. So basically, Angel came up to Michael's apartment. According to rumors, Michael wasn't alone. With him was Freeze Riggs. Freeze was the nickname of Robert Riggs. He was a club regular. He was mysterious. He didn't exude an incredible, friendly vibe. Something about him was just not good. I looked at him as, you know, like a little demon. He had a lot of negative energy around him as well, you know, dark energy. So Michael and Angel got into a fight. Freeze, Michael's friend, saw this and tried to intervene that essentially got out of control. Yeah, he killed Angel. And they dismembered the body. Owen's article implicating Michael Alec gets the attention of the investigation squad in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, who now realize they may be able to use Angel's case to their advantage. The whole objective of the investigation squad is to investigate Peter Gation for financials. The story of Johnny Melendez's search for his brother gives the investigators an idea. The district attorney gets Johnny Melendez called Michael Allard. And basically, they want to see if Michael will implicate himself. And as a bonus, they might even get more on Peter Gation. They were trying to put Gation away, not just as somebody who controlled the drugs at the Lima, but basically as a racketeer, somebody equivalent to a big-time mobster. On August 15th, 1996, with tape rolling, a nervous Johnny Melendez calls the fallen club kid king. Michael says he had nothing to do with him, but he'd heard that Peter had something to do with it. I think Angel made some threats to the bouncers that, that, he, would, that he was going to tell the police about what was going on at the club. I don't think he ever did. Michael, he was throwing Peter under the bus. There's nothing concrete in the call to prove there's been a murder. The Manhattan District Attorney is still unable to make any arrests in the Angel Melendez case. You just can't go out and uh, arrest someone because of the hearsay. If I don't have a body, it means nothing. I stumble onto this article of a, of a homicide and I start reading the details. And you know, I'm kind of interested in it. Tommy comes over to me and he says, look at this. A body has been found in the Harlem River. Django and Comus wonder if it has anything to do with the body they found in Staten Island. He says, the guy who killed this guy might have taken our guy out. They pay a visit to Manhattan's 10th precinct to see if the two bodies can be connected. The body uh, had no affiliation to our investigation, but the detective up there knew of a detective down in the DA squad that had a story similar to what we had, which was a floater. So when I had called up DA's office, I had spoke to someone, and he says, I'll look into it. The next morning, my supervisor, he says, you know, the DA's office came here and pulled your case. They want to take over the case. The Manhattan DA's investigators travel to the morgue where Comus's John Doe is. I believe they got the dental records from his brother. We went to the dentist, and he confirmed those teeth were Angel Melendez. Now we got a homicide. He's dead. I remember that. And it hurt. I didn't want to feel those feelings. 
Django and Comas team up with the DA's office to find Angel's killer. They know Michael Alec is their strongest suspect, so they start by questioning the club kids. And while Alec has tried to pin Angel's murder on Peter Gation, no one is buying it. Nobody believed Peter had anything to do with this, no. There was zero evidence, and there was tons of evidence that Michael did it. I mean, he was going around telling everybody he did the murder. I ran into Michael, and he said, you don't think I really killed Angel, do you? And he said it with this mischievous glint, and I was sort of thinking like, yeah, I sort of do. With the positive ID of Angel's body, investigators have enough to arrest Michael Alec and freeze Riggs. Only one thing stands in their way, and it's why Michael has been acting so cocky. The DEA wanted Peter Gation. The feds were intent on protecting Michael so he could testify against Peter Gation. The DEA absolutely refused to give Michael to us, and they were willing to make that sacrifice. They didn't want us messing with their witness. But detectives Comus and Django aren't about to let an alleged murderer get away. We wanted justice. They didn't tell us what they were doing. So we went out on our own. Detectives are sure Michael Alec and Freeze Riggs killed Angel Melendez. The DEA is trying to prevent Alec's arrest in order to use him against Peter Gation. But detectives Django and Comus have a different idea. The DA of Manhattan decided to send us to criminal court to draw up an arrest warrant. We got a call, it's about three, four o'clock in the morning, that Alec had moved to New Jersey and he was staying at this hotel and they were afraid he was gonna flee. Well, we notified the Jersey PD that we had an arrest warrant for Michael Alec. With the supervision of the New Jersey troopers, we went to the hotel I knocked on the door. He said, who is it? And I says, maintenance. And he came to the door. He was playing with a child's farmhouse, plastic farm with the little animals. And that's what he was doing. He was really stoned. He was high on drugs. He could barely stand up. The feds, who wanted Alec to bring down Peter Gation, are furious with his arrest. We just gave him the courtesy that we had arrested Michael Alec. And if he was a key witness in their case, it was over. DEA wasn't too happy. Once they have Alec, Detective Comus races to New York City to capture Alec's accomplice, Freeze Riggs. And he says, I'm glad it's over. I can't live with this uh, anymore. I want it to be over. So I told him, just, you know, calm down. We'll take you to our office. I says, you willing to write out a confession? And he says he would, and he did. On a Sunday in March of 1996, Michael Alleg and Angel Melendez were loudly arguing. Riggs' confession corroborates the stories Michael Musto and Frank Owen published months before. Angel was furious, right, when he turned up at Michael's apartment. He was furious for two reasons. One, he'd just been evicted from the limelight on the orders of Peter Gation. The second reason he was furious was that Michael had been stealing drugs from his stash. He was just like fed up and was just like, these people are using me. That's when he finally got a little aggressive and was like, this is not cool. So you have these two guys who get into a fight over the drugs. And according to Michael, 
Angel had Michael down and was hitting him. Freeze, Michael's friend, saw this. Riggs hit him over the head three times. Uh, Angel fell unconscious on the ground. Michael jumped on top of him, put a pillow on his face, and was smothering him. Michael killed him. They decided to dump the body in the bathtub, pour Drano down his throat, and cover the body with baking soda, and then barricade the bathroom shut. And they go on this big drug bender, as if they were just wanting to forget about it. Angel's body remains in the bathtub for a week. Eventually, friends notice the smell. I was like, Michael, what is this stench? You need to clean your apartment. About five to seven days later, Michael and I decided we had to do something about this terrible mess. Riggs didn't really have the stomach to dispose of the body. So he had offered uh, Alec, I don't know, 10 bags of heroin if he would dispose of the body. Michael went into the bathroom alone and cut off both of Angel's legs. They put it in plastic bags, then it was in a box, and then it was duct taped. Very secure. This wasn't meant to ever come back. In the middle of the night, Alec and Riggs take a cab to the West Side Highway, where they throw the box into the Hudson River. This is something for the world's stupidest criminals. They forgot to puncture holes in the box. If they had, the box probably would have sunk. But as it turned out, without the holes, it floated to the top, and that's how they found the evidence. Thank God. Michael Alec and Freeze Riggs take a plea deal. 10 to 20 years for manslaughter in the first degree. Now, when I heard that, I mean, I was horrified. He killed a man. 20 years later, I'm still dealing with it. After he makes the plea, Alec is dropped as a witness in the Peter Gation case. Even if he hadn't dismembered anybody, right? You're gonna put on the stand a drug mess like this? Like, the guy lies to his teeth about literally everything and there's absolutely zero credibility. The courtroom rang with cheers and Peter Gation grabbed his attorney in a bear hug after these verdicts were announced. Not guilty of drug conspiracy, not guilty of drug racketeering. And that case, all the money and all the investigation and all the hours, was acquitted. Robert Freeze Riggs is paroled in 2010. After serving 17 years, Michael Alec is released in 2014. As for club owner Peter Gation, the feds eventually convict him of tax evasion and deport him back to Canada. Because he wasn't a citizen. I believe he had a green card. Of course, if you have a green card and you commit a felony, they can deport you, and that's what they did. In the 90s, it seemed like the club kids partying would go on forever. But the murder of Angel Melendez turned out to be the last call. The glow was off the club kids. It just wasn't cool to be a drugged out club kid anymore. The thought that went through my mind was how could I have been involved in a community in which such a thing could have occurred? And that made me very angry. I still think of this story. I still see that box. Uh, that kind of stays with you, you know? I want to say how sad it is that she thinks that, that just because you're old and grown up, you can't have fun. Michael Alec was famous. He was on talk shows. He was on the cover of a magazine. He threw incredible parties. So that kind of takes the, the spotlight sometimes off the victim. The victim was Angel Melendez. People need to remember that it was Angel Melendez whose life was taken. What about Angel? Who was he? Angel was always a sweetheart to me. He had aspirations of life and traveling and 
being um, being his true self. He wanted to open up a shelter for gay youth. He was a very giving person. That smile, oh God, that smile, light up a room. It was pure, a pure loving smile, which I, I really, I miss. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.